God is dead. And with the immortal's death came the plague, set to destroy us from the land given to us by them. As a gravedigger, you will be a line of defense, tasked with making sure those who are left to die and suffer may finally know everlasting rest. On this episode of Schedule for Launch, join me and Jack of Caesar Inc. as I learn about Doomsong, Lord have mercy upon us. We talk the system, working with large properties, and transitioning to your own first project. All that right here and more on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by somebody who I think we've kind of navigated the weird bits of Twitter by having uh, a common acquaintance reach out and get us together. Jack, thank you so much for for coming on to Schedule for Launch this week to talk about both Caesar Inc. and Doomsong. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. Yeah, of course. Like <laughs> I was telling you earlier, Zach of Animon Stories reached out and they were like, hey, you got to talk to these people. They've done a lot of really cool stuff. They've finally formed their own studio and they're making this really, and it's it's super stylish. I'm, kudos to your your artist. Um, yeah, shout out to uh, Maritz Krebs. Maritz, yes. Uh, Black, Maritz. Black Crab Art over, over in Germany. He's uh, absolutely, absolutely fabulous. <laughs> Inking is so good and I'll probably talk about the art a little bit more in a little bit, but you guys have something that is very cool in this space, and I'm excited to see where it goes. That's fantastic, hit. Like um, we were just chatting just before the before it went live, mostly complaining about uh, Twitter and how we could yep. contact each other. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, mutual mutual Zach of Animon Story who got us in in touch who I've worked with at uh, a river horse for a few years. We worked on the, my little pony uh, role-playing game together. And uh, I think he was with us when we did labyrinth, the adventure game and uh, maybe not quite when we did dark crystal, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, we go, we go back. It's great though, because you and the, the core team of Caesar Inc, obviously you've grown a little bit have been doing this for a while together and that's something I'm really excited to talk about as well. But Jack, can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Yeah, of course. I'm Jack Caesar, uh, one of the uh, members of Caesar Inc. I'm generally the uh, rules guy for our products. So I do the a lot of the numbers and dice rolls and try and tweeze some fun out of uh, out of dice and probabilities and generally <laughs> think about how people role play and all of that stuff uh, we're a small small studio it's uh, me and my brother my brother's partner um, and then uh, we used uh, Marie Scrubs as we talked about for uh, for this doom song project so yeah we're a fairly new company in terms of sort of being our own thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was originally a company started by my brother, by Chris, about, I want to say, 10 years ago as a... Oh, wow. Basically, well, it's basically the name that he freelanced under, Caesar Inc., okay. uh, as, a, as an illustrator and a graphic designer. 
that that's the name he'd he'd go under and whilst we we're doing work for other companies and this that and the other basically if either of us was doing anything freelance it would be it would be under under Caesar Inc. Okay. But sort of in the last 6 months is when it's actually been a company company and we've been trying to actually, you know, make a product and uh, enter the world of independent business rather than services for for other companies. So uh well let's see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that also being independent, it's got its own unique challenges that have come up. Oh, yes. Can you talk about that shift, though, from being part of, well, you said you were with River Horse, right? So that's yeah. quite a heavy shift. Yeah. So, I mean, the the biggest one is, is always in consistency and, yeah. like, time load and just trying to get, get stuff sorted. When you're... When you're employed at a business, you're going to get your income every month, um, and it's someone else's problem whether you know the the rest of the cogs are are working and how much sort of flow is is coming in and coming out. And yeah, like the nice thing about project stuff is is you are always sort of working towards creating something, and and those things have an end. And you say, okay, we've we've done that thing. Now we're we're moving on to the onto the next thing um but sort of combining that with the like oh and a monthly paycheck sort of gives you kind of i think (laughs) the best of both worlds in that (laughs) um but uh working for yourself um or for other people through yourself is is a lot more a lot more freedom um a lot more actually i i'm not interested in that project or i don't think that project's going to I don't think I'm the best person for that or or this, that or the other. So like that kind of freedom to say no to stuff is, is really strong. Um, but then you've also got the like, especially, so we're balancing this Kickstarter that we're, uh, that we're running in October, Doom Song RPG, yep. absolutely awesome stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, <laughs> um, but trying to sort of balance the massive workload that we have to do on that, which is this like, on the hill, in the horizon, you know, we do this Kickstarter and obviously it's it's a huge success and everyone loves it and that's amazing. And then, you know, we can use that money to fund the business and make the thing happen and um, sort of eat. Yeah, there's a little <laughs> bit of that as well. Um, and sort of, so we've got that and then trying to balance that with with services for other companies and, and you know, stuff that actually pays out money now or, or mm-hmm. makes... It makes things work in the in the moment to moment, and trying to balance those two those two things is is definitely part of the thing that I I never really had to do whilst I was on the nine to five. Yeah, you and the rest of the the Caesar Inks team, from what I understand, have been in the really cool position. We just talked about River Horse a little bit. You've handled some really beloved IPs in the past. The, the three big ones. I mean, My Little Pony, you mentioned. We've talked about the Labyrinth and Dark Crystal adventure games, which are phenomenal. <laughs> What's it like getting to handle something like that? Because it's very different than writing fiction, for instance. Like you said, your rules. And so I personally love the rule set for Labyrinth. So <laughs> I'm wondering what that's like, translating cinema to the page so um there's there's kind of this old like a 
philosophy of of game design of like the difference between Euro games and and Ameritrash and you can probably guess who sort of decided to to name that but but there's kind of and I, I don't think it's it's super true but there is there is some element of truth in it of sort of the idea that Euro games are sort of designed sort of rules first and um sort of American style simulation often games are designed with the theme first so yeah some some game will be like how do we how do we simulate normandy and okay well we need a thousand dice and we need plus ones here and this that and the other whereas something like settlers of Catan is more like oh i've come up with this neat way things interact what's the best theme to sort of get people into that Mm -hmm. and so for me i i've always i've always approached things theme first um when i like the, one of the reasons I got into games was because of the the fantasy of, of like, oh, I want to, I, I like the idea of playing as an adventurer or as a fighter pilot or a this, that or the other. And these games sort of evoke that feeling. Um, and so, and obviously the, the best of the best of both worlds is what you want. You want the, the game to sort of evoke the feeling of the theme and the theme to bolster the, the mechanics of the game. Yeah. But, when you're sort of coming at it from a license, from like you've got the end point, you you start with this is what we want. This is we want something that evokes this license, this world, and you've got to go. Okay, well, where's the where's the game in that? Is the first question, um, which is sometimes very easy, uh, sometimes very difficult. So I did the yep. um, the Worms game for Mantic recently. Okay. Um, like based off of the the Worms uh, video game, and yeah. that that one is like, where's the game in that? Oh, well, it's already literally a turn based game. Like that that question is very easy to answer. Actually, translating it to a tabletop is much more difficult. But sort of, where's the game in in something like Labyrinth or in something like Dark Crystal is is much more like okay, so you've got to sort of distill what the fantasy of that world is, and then try and make that as succinct as possible um Mm -hmm. so with the labyrinth it's this like exploring this wondrous world that kind of works on its own its own rules uh you've got to you've got to have that that comedy and that irreverence in there um and a lot of labyrinth actually was about basically getting out of the way of the players and giving them the tools to be as like off the wall and and wild as as David Bowie and and the characters in in Labyrinth can be, yeah. And so that's that's why that book is. I think I've got it here actually. I think it's thirty pages of rules at the beginning. Um, yeah, that's how it starts off. Like and like a good a good load of that is like tips and tricks, and then some of that is also just. And I put this in almost every game that I make, an RPG game that I make of like a two-page spread of just giving people permission to ignore anything I've written. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, these rules are here for you to have fun, cut them out, change them. Like, if they're not working for you, do something else. Like, mm-hmm. If you want something harder hitting, then go go find that. And, and you know, you're, this is your world and you have, to, you have to make it yours as much as we've tried to make it yours. Uh, and that's why that, that book and... Um, is is just this sort of 30 pages of rules and then just the wacky scenarios. Um, the other sort of consideration there was that the 
um, sort of the standard or the the ideal customer for that uh, for that book was um, an you know, a fan of the original Labyrinth, but yep. not necessarily an RPG player. So someone who's watched the Labyrinth in 1984, and you know they watched it when they were 13 or something, and have, have grown now, but they've never maybe never played role playing games before. So that's why that one is like so um, simple and easy to grab a hold of, and especially on the GM side. Um, yeah, that's that's where we basically came up with and, and really. Uh, solidified that two-page spread system of uh, every location within that book is on a two-page spread you've got sort of mm-hmm. the map and the like the bare bones on the left and then you've got anything that sort of requires specific rules or or deep dive like explanations and stuff on the on the right so you can like start on the left page and you've got everything you need there and then if they have questions about something you've got more information on the right and um, the idea being that you can flip to almost any page scan read it and then get going um and that's yeah just to sort of like that that's kind of where we ended up um uh, bringing uh well first dark crystal and now now doom song as well of, of this like actually trying to trying to create a book that's that's really usable <laughs> um, yeah i feel like i've gone off piece what was the original question uh I was just asking what it's like to handle those big IPs. Oh yeah, got off piece. <laughs> <laughs> it um, it's very different depending on who you're who you're working with. Yeah, those those three that um, that you mentioned, uh, My Little Pony, uh, and uh, so Hasbro and uh, the Henson Company. Yeah, uh, they were really really good to work with. Um, once you get over the the role playing uh, problem of so these are set worlds with cannons and saying, oh, players can do whatever they like in them. Mm-hmm. Like that that definitely sets the hackles up in a in a licensor. They're like, well, could they, you know, could they do yeah, something, something unmentionable? Something could they yep. or could they, you know, say that the Goblin King is, you know, dead or this or that, or or like changing the cat like they they often have these like hard rules in their in their style guides and stuff like you know, mm-hmm. this can never happen. This is never mentioned. We don't deal with that. Uh, and so, sort of saying, oh, but this is a role playing game. We actually don't have any control over any of that. Uh, once you get over that hurdle, like they were really good to work with. Um, we have worked with licenses that are harder. Uh, to work with, yep. uh, I will not. I'll not go to details on that yeah, one. Don't do that. But, um, <laughs> get get blackballed. But, um, <laughs> no, but uh, like I totally get it. This is um, it's a super part, uh, super important part of of a of a brand. Yeah, and so being very like defensive over over how it's portrayed is it's part of how you keep that brand sort of consistent and fresh and, and everything and then mm-hmm. as a creative like i come along and say oh i really like to do this thing in your world and I go, <laughs> maybe <laughs> and, um, yeah no so um really really interesting and you get to see a lot of different different fans and i think the most important thing is like yeah as i said sort of finding out what's what the game is and what people enjoy about that franchise and then which is so much easier when you're already a, a fan of the franchise, which is yep. something I've you know been lucky enough to have done several times. <laughs> um, but even like 
even when you're when it's not something you originally knew about when you sort of started work on it or anything like that is it's about finding finding out this what the love is about um and then either bringing on the talent that can can inject that love in basically uh, or sort of working with it to to really understand the the license and building out from there to to sort of create this this product that was a far better answer than i expected when I was just like, I love that I can play as a worm. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's actually a really interesting one because the the worm was quite hard to get in. Like, really? <laughs> well, not not from a like licensor point of view, but from a um, like from a power game. level and a gameplay and a like, uh, and it's actually something that we've ended up uh, that you can play a, like tiny little spider thing in um, in the Dark Crystal as well and like. Um, but this idea of, uh, and the answer was actually, don't worry about it at all. Like they'll work <laughs> it out. <laughs> but but originally it was like, oh, how do we, how do we make playing a worm like useful and interesting? And like once the once the novelty of being very small is worn off, how do you keep the? But so much role playing is basically, especially in the labyrinth, is basically like working out a puzzle and and just chatting to each yeah. other and. And then it, uh, I'm pretty sure in the rules, like there is actually no downside to being tiny apart from common sense. Like there is no like, oh, your move speed is 50% less or anything like that. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, you're small, like work you're it out. Small. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to finally move on to Doom Song. <laughs> yes. Lord have mercy upon us because this is such a cool game. It's especially because this is your first really solid venture into into something this big can you tell the audience a little bit about what doom song lord have mercy upon us is i can indeed so god is dead <laughs> in the in the beginning there was the immortal they created everything including uh, other other gods they immediately murdered the immortal and so became the traitor gods. They control so much of this dark fantasy medieval world and their sort of power has led to, or they sort of, they were, they were trapped for a long time and their breaking out of this power has led to the apocalypse. And that's where you come in. Doomsong is a game inspired by the biblical apocalypse, by medieval folklore, and by just horror and and the the general horror of of the dark ages and the beliefs that people had in in those ages. And so, this is a world in which the sort of the main like church of the world follows the divine corpse, the the dead mm -hmm. immortal. And yeah. that has no power. They are dead. And then, but everywhere else, there are cultists and there are witches who follow the traitor gods and are given mystic powers and are sort of seduced to the dark side of uh, of magic. And like as grave diggers, which is what you play as, you play as grave diggers who are basically given this very simple job of of digging graves for the dead, which is made twice as difficult by the fact that uh, as as it is the apocalypse, hell is full 
and the dead are coming back. They're, the hell is full. They're being rebuffed at the gates of hell and being sent back to uh, their bodies to rise as the unquiet dead. So you're playing gravediggers in the middle of an apocalypse, trying to deal with just stuff that was never in your job description. And above yep. all that, uh, Pestilence, the first horseman of the apocalypse, has like ripped out of the world a kingdom, an entire kingdom, uh, which unfortunately you are now trapped in, uh, which is now known as the Plaguescape. And you need to survive. You need to try and maybe find a way of breaking that curse. And you're going to fail. Your first character is going to die. <laughs> uh, and that, and you're going to make another character and you're going to make more. And it's this story of the guild rather than sort of the individual characters mm-hmm. in a TTRPG that's very much based on, on horror, lethality, and uh, just trying to do like the best you can in a world that's crumbling around you. I think one of the coolest things to me was the focus on pestilence as the horseman, because you see a lot of use out of the other horsemen. You see a lot of war or death, and I am forgetting the the, the fourth one right now. <laughs> uh, famine. Famine, yes. You don't see famine. It's, it's not as if we have more books planned. No, no, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, outside of, what was it called, Darksiders, you don't really see <laughs> a lot of use with the Horsemen of the Apocalypse as major pieces. And so the fact that you're in this scape and you're dealing with arguably one of the, I mean, all, all the Horsemen are bad, but th- <laughs> this this one's visually quite terrifying compared to the others. It's such a cool thing to handle. What was some of like the process of narrowing it down on the the plague lands and the plaguescape and getting there? So um, the writer, the author um, uh, Morgan, uh, started writing about four years ago. So it was actually before coronavirus, before. Um, Sort of okay. For a while, we were all in a in a plaguescape, um, <laughs> but it which was which was this sort of moment because uh, she started writing it, and then like a year later, or six, it might have even been like less than that, like a few months later, suddenly, like everyone's thinking about the plague and, and all of this stuff, and it's like, mm-hmm. is this the best timing in the world or the worst timing in the world? I don't really know. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely something to think about. There is a little bit of that, like, just getting thoughts out and um, putting that sort of art onto the onto the page uh, rather than sort of just holding onto it. Um, but I think in a lot, and uh, I'm definitely not the law guy, uh, Morgan's the one to, to ask about um, some of the specifics, but I believe... Um, the the first rider is is pestilence, and so the original plan, uh, which uh, we managed to convince uh, her to sort of scale it back, maybe you know, uh, <laughs> from seven books to uh, to just the one or two, if you include the uh, the rule book, but mm-hmm. um, of doing this this volume focusing on on pestilence, um, the first sort of sign of the biblical apocalypse. Um, so you've essentially got the uh, you've got the four horsemen. Uh, you've got uh, the 
um, war on uh, the war on heaven, silence in heaven. Um, there's like the seven seals of the of the apocalypse, which you know if things go absolutely amazingly, uh, we can use. Uh, we have sort of plans for for each of the books, uh, very much skeletons at the moment, um, to to sort of build up build outward. And our ideal sort of world is to over the course of those books uh, rip this world apart. It's an apocalypse. Like we want to destroy the world. We love the idea of this like fantastical changing world. Uh, there's mm-hmm. something in in a lot of fantasy where worlds don't seem to change. Like elves live a thousand years, and over those thousand years, like nothing seems to massively change. You know, there's some ancient civilization or something, and uh, and that's that's always a shame to me because yeah. the best stories are in in times of you know interesting times <laughs> times you would never wish upon anyone but yeah. um but having these like moments of of great change and what greater change is there than the literal biblical apocalypse that's pretty having, yeah <laughs> having <laughs> having that and then sort of um by the end of it sort of having you know destroyed your all your lego <laughs> or legos <laughs> um and sort of you know thrown everything thrown everything around and sort of destroyed everything you know if there's if there's a big building in the in the game you know oh there's going to be a set scene at some point there's going to be a tsunami there's going to be something that just rips this world apart and so that that was kind of part of the uh the influence of like or that that idea of actually we want we want a dynamic world that's that's changing and taking uh, inspiration from that um Dark Ages isn't really a, a fair way of describing the era, but that Dark Ages um, idea that that everything was in decline, it was quite a pervasive yeah. sort of philosophy of, like, we saw the Roman Empire, we saw the heights that humanity could get to, and, you know, we have all these monuments that we don't know how to build, and we have all these, like, and we know that, <laughs> you know, we know that we've sinned, and we know that we are you know, going to be punished. And from the looks of it, we are being punished and the, the world is, is going down uh, the watershed. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is that like, that vibe uh, playing around in, in that sort of very macabre horror is something that we uh, find cathartic and interesting. <laughs> it blows my mind too, when we're looking at the theme of this game or the genre, I should say, not even the theme because the theme is very different. But it is that macabre horror, and you don't see that a lot set in fantasy or specifically Dark Ages medieval. And I'm not sure why, because I feel like they are a match made in heaven, for lack of terminology. <laughs> what drew you to, A, the Dark Ages, the biblical apocalypse, and like really hunkering down and building out rules to interact in a world like that so uh morgan is a uh, a, a doctor of of literature and yeah. so she has a lot of like uh love for for that old school um old school makes it sound like the 80s but uh, <laughs> like, like 1400s and classical like stuff uh medieval folklore like the original like king arthur tales and things like that um where stuff was just just dark and had weird edges to it 
that mm-hmm. just don't sort of make sense in a lot of ways um, is a really interesting sort of thing about horror because horror is about not knowing a lot or knowing too much. <laughs> and uh, and so, so she was sort of drawn to that, like, that vibe and that... Um, uh, from that sort of literature and working that into into a game, uh, then essentially uh, I I was brought on. I um, after <laughs> after a couple of years, um, sort of or three years even, sort of started uh, looking at it about about a year ago uh, to basically build a system around it, um, mm-hmm. taking in her ideas and sort of creating something that both emulated what she wanted out of the world and also again with the same thing as labyrinth got out of the way that's that's the really important part of a lot of a role-playing system um is actually getting out of the way of yourself uh, it's really easy to write rules it's actually not writing rules that's that's a really hard thing to do like <laughs> you can you can write like i could fill books and books and books of rules and it'd be impenetrable and no one could read it um it's sort of picking what what out of that actually builds the theme you're working towards and what detracts from it and what is necessary for the building blocks for other stuff to, to work. Um, one of the first like ideas that, that made its way into the, into the game that like was the, like trying to create this theme and solve this problem is, um, is this sort of, problem I've had with a lot of horror games um, where I I find there's two like distinctly different um, opposing problems. There's the, with the character creation in in, uh, specific, if you are, if you have a character creator that is very detailed and allows you to, you know, roll a d10 for the amount of follicles in your your nose and uh, <laughs> <laughs> sort of put skill points everywhere and and have have all this. Um, then that's great, and it gives you this sort of attachment to your character. You're like, oh, I know so much about my character, and I've spent, you know, at minimum, I've spent an hour thinking about them um, and what. Oh, why why do they have ten points in mechanics? Oh, they must have spent some time with that. Um, and you have this. Yeah, attachment to your character, and that's great. That's what we want. And so, when you're playing this game, like you you play the game, and they see something they shouldn't, their eyes start bleeding, and they're ripped apart by a thousand tentacled monstrosities. Uh, and that's a really visceral moment. And that you know you you're, you've just lost a friend, you've just lost someone you know a lot about, and that you know that wrenches you and that's sort of part of that feeling is, yeah. is what we're what we're aiming for a lot of the time in this sort of tense horror environment and then you've got to spend an hour making another character and you're like like as as strong as that moment was you've now got this bookkeeping to do and mm-hmm. like and maybe you're not really in the mood because you've just lost a character and yeah, and so <laughs> and the other the other end of that the sort of the obvious solution is oh well you know just make just have a system where your character is like a few stats like you have six stats and pluses to some of them and bam you've got a character and you're done and the problem with that is you get into this slightly more um which is not a bad thing but it's uh, maybe not quite what we're going for but that more sort of osr like 
oh, I've got a fighter and I'll name him when he gets to second level. <laughs> this, <laughs> this sort of, you know, if he survives the session, maybe I'll, I'll think a bit about his character. Um, and so that's why a huge chunk of that um, the demo adventure that's uh, available on our website, if you uh, if you pop on over to Caesar, uh, Caesar.inc, um, you can find the sort of the skeleton of that character creator, which uh, we took a lot of inspiration from Traveller um, and sort of doing that life path system where, okay, where were you born? Okay, did you become a pickpocket or a member of the city guard? Uh, and then you choose one of those and you get a random event. And did you... You know, why did you leave the the city guard? Oh, because I found a heretical item and you know confiscated it from someone else. Oh, so you start with this profane relic, but you you know the church is not very happy with you. And sort of so it's a system that once you know it, it takes ten minutes. Like the first time you run through it, usually because I I'll always run that as part of the demo adventure because I think it's such a like nice little part of it rather than doing the um, pre made characters. Yeah, and so that like. Um, character creation process. Once you're once you're down with it, it's about ten minutes. And the first time you do it with the GM, like running it, running it with you, it's like fifteen twenty. Like it's mm-hmm. it's such a like quick system. And at the end of it, you've got a you've not just got a character with stats. You've got a character with a story. You've got oh, I was a guard, and I might have these ideas. And it says on my character sheet that I'm reckless. So I'll lean into that a bit. And it gives you these like fairly blunt hooks of like oh, I'll lean into this for a bit and I have a feel for my character and now I care about them and now I will care when they die and I'll maybe retreat from stuff that I wouldn't have retreated to from if they were a nameless character. And Uh sort of this, like, trying to balance that weight of, 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 like, ownership over a character with the actual time you spend (laughs) making that character, trying to slim that down. Uh, was one of the um, the first things that um, that we worked on when um, when Morgan sort of basically came came to me with a vibe. <laughs> it was like this is the world, um, and I want people to explore it in this way, and I want death to happen like fairly regularly. I want it to be um, an ever present thing in the world. And yeah, yeah, a lot of it was so that's the like effect side of that. And the other side was essentially filling it with excuses for the GM to be mean, which is something that's actually, <laughs> it's really hard to get to get GMs to kill players. Uh, well, yeah, that's very hard and it should be uh, to kill characters. <laughs> um, like, and that's sort of where the, the Doom coin comes in. So quite often that like takes it out of the, uh, the GM's hands and says to the player, you're going to flip that coin because the tails means mm, you're probably dead. Um, and sort of, yeah, trying to push the GM to be cruel and to be mean um, and sort of give them excuses almost to hide behind. It's like, oh, well, setting the rules, you're dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> was uh, was another sort of, of those um, sort of philosophies, trying to push mm-hmm. people to, uh, to that. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And it's, despite the fact that it's not, an IP game. Uh, I mean, it is a it is our own world, and also being able to be there and say, you know, oh, it'd be really useful if you know there was a Opiri at the bell tower because that would sort of tie together a bit more of a like a monster to hunt the players. Blah, 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 blah. And sort of yeah. coming up with these ideas and going, this would be a really good idea. And Balkan being able to go, well, 
that doesn't actually work because the Opiri is a creature of frenzy and that doesn't really fit with the book. And like, but being in that room with the actual creator the whole time, whereas in the past I've always been talking to licenses and, you know, licenses aren't that often, they might have a line to the creator, but that's just adding another sort of step um, yeah. for miscommunication. So being able to be with the creator and change stuff if necessary or um, sort of get the answer as to why something's that way on a like metaphysical level uh, <laughs> has been has been really fun um and it yeah it's that theme focused design has been uh yeah real blast on this project <laughs> i do like that this game is set up to be somewhat gm antagonistic while still rooting for the party overall it's i know listening to that sounds super weird <laughs> for for other folks out there this is a very interesting game with some really really cool choices especially for a horror genre and a lot of that comes down to how the system runs so can you tell us a little bit about how dice work in this game and specifically that doom coin because you you hinted about that a little bit i love the doom coin a lot yes. in this game so <laughs> And one of the one of the things I, I really like how it turned out is uh, the standard check. Um, and yeah. so originally, um, I sort of had this mad idea where what if almost everything in the game was was tables rolling on tables? <laughs> uh, and you can see a bit of that DNA in the in the character creator and in the special check tables. But like originally, it was like. You, you roll on a table for almost everything. Um, mm -hmm. And each table would have prompts for the GM. So when you attack a monster, you roll on a table. And like if you roll high, it's like, oh, here's a prompt. You do some wound to the creature, and but like, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that sort of got a bit uh, cut down and cordoned off. And it was way too overcomplicated. And coming up with like these six things for every, um, every action the players might take. Uh, and then asking the GM to define what the players were taking and then find the right page. And yeah, it was honestly uh, asking too much. Yeah. Um, but uh, so what we distilled that down to, because the, the heart was quite strong, uh, is the uh, the standard check, which is, you know, in D&D, in &D, that would be roll a d20, add your, your, your modifiers to it. And if you get over the target number, yay. Yeah. Um, in, our, in our game, essentially... You uh, roll a d6. Um, there will be a standard. There will be a difficulty, usually five, and you'll have some pluses and minuses depending on your traits and your gear and your, your conditions. So uh, they're all really flexible. They're all really like, oh, I'm I'm burly, and that's a descriptor of your character. There's no rules attached to being burly, except for when you're making a check. You might say to the GM, oh, does being strong help in this? Does the fact that I'm burly help in this? And he goes. Yeah, sure. Plus one, because uh, it's kind of related. Or plus two. Yeah, you're trying to lift a rock. That's perfect for this. Um, similarly, if you're trying to like crawl through a tunnel, burly might be a minus. Uh, so it's all like really conversational, really fluid on the going in. Um, and this was fairly intentional. I wanted that fluffy, like conversational part of. Oh, can I get a bonus for this? Oh, what if I loop the rope around? Does that give me a this? And so. You end up with a bonus. You end up with a d6 and a bonus. Um, and that's sort of where mechanically the mechanics take over, is you've now mm -hmm. got this 
immutable number on a die and a plus to that number. Yeah. And you can get three results. You can get under the target difficulty, uh, which is usually failure with cost, which means you you failed at what you're trying to do. And the cost is uh, comes from the GM. There are a couple of uh, uh, sort of suggestions. So you might break the tool you were trying to use. You might take a little bit of damage. You might uh, attract the attention of villains in the area or something. Uh, then if you roll equal to the difficulty, you've got success with cost, uh, which means you've succeeded on what you're trying to do, but you incur a cost similar to the failure with cost, but you've got a success. And then right at the top, you've got success. So if you roll over the target difficulty, you've just got success and you don't incur a penalty. On top of this, after you've rolled, uh, you have the chance of flipping the Doom coin. Uh, so the Doom coin is like um, this mystical artifact. Uh, it's handed around the table. Only one person can be doomed to have the Doom coin at any one time. And uh, if you choose to flip it, you gain the Doom coin from whoever whomever has it. And you uh, you give it a flip. If you get a heads, you like go up one step on that uh, on that effect. So if you had failure with cost, now it goes up to success with cost. And if you get tails, it goes the other way. So it comes down. And then there are sort of two spaces off the top and off the bottom of this uh, of this table: critical success and critical fail. Um, so what will really often happen is if you roll a failure for something, you've got the doom coin. You could flip the Doom coin, you could, and if you get a heads, you've just turned that failure into success with cost, which is a success. And often success is like super important. We yep. really try and emphasize in the game, only make players roll a check for important stuff. Like only like it's it's for interesting and dangerous things that you're that you're rolling a check for, or things mm -hmm. that you know could have some way of being detrimental on a failure. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you've got this chance. You can mitigate that failure. You can turn it into a success. Mm -hmm. Or if you get a Tails, that's a critical fail. And that's basically just a license for the GM to come up with the worst way that could have gone wrong. So, and we, <laughs> in the in the full book, we literally like have a, have a page dedicated to this of like, if they're jumping a chasm, a, a failure is like, they look at the jump and go, there's no way I can make that. A critical failure is they try and they make it exactly halfway. <laughs> like, that's that's the that's the sort of difference. Like it's yeah, it is. How bad could this have gone? Um, and so, but but what that means is critical failure isn't. I rolled a one. Critical failure is oh, I rolled low and then I gambled. I pushed my luck and it's my fault. And kind of because it's your fault when the GM says, well, you know you fell down the chasm, like, you're, you're kind of like, oh, I really shouldn't have pushed that, rather than, yeah, screw this die, it rolled a one, um, which is a really interesting, like, <laughs> dynamic. And I think it, it bleeds a lot of the uh, frustration out of rolling badly, because mm -hmm. you could have taken the lesser, like, it's, it is your fault, you flipped that coin, <laughs> and, yeah. and you took on the risk. And because it is 50-50, it's a coin, like, your brain, uh, there's a, that old thing of like, people are really bad at probability and quite often equate anything as 50-50, like in this sort of, even when it's like quite heavily weighted one way or the other, because yeah. especially with binary choices where it's hit or miss, um, they go 50-50. Oh, 
Um, it's that kind of thing in D and D where people roll a twelve and go, "Ugh, like, oh, that's above average. <laughs> that's quite a good roll." Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but uh, yeah, you're flipping that coin. It's fifty-fifty, and it's your fault if you've just failed. And again, it, uh, the other side of that is if you get a crit, if you've sort of pushed something up into like something amazing, then yeah, you've just you've just beaten the odds. You feel you feel great. Um, and so that's really the core mechanic, and that's like 90% of the game. That's that's this like push and pull mechanic that just runs the whole thing, uh, runs the whole show. Um, and yeah, it in in play, it's it's been really nice seeing that um, that move. Like originally in the uh, in the design phase, um, that was a uh, it was a special die with uh, basically plus one, plus two, plus three, and minus one, minus two, minus three, mm-hmm. um, that, that you could roll basically afterwards, yeah. um, which just added another layer of doing some maths and kind of, it didn't have the the vibe. There's something mm-hmm. so good. And in the, in the Kickstarter, we are um, adding in a, a metal Doom coin as part of the... Um, so uh, the cool. pledge, yeah. If you get if you get both the books, you get the Doom Coin or the Deluxe Pledge has like everything in it, including a yep. uh, a miniature of Father Plague that holds the coin um, oh. on your on your table. It's really cool. <laughs> I <laughs> but, love that. Yeah, there's there's something so fated about a coin. There's something so like you can imagine the gods playing with a coin. You can imagine yep. the like. There's a lot more weight to it, whereas a, a special die that's got minus one, minus two, and minus three just feels like a, a gamey thing. Something mm-hmm. like um, so. Yeah, it was a really good, um, really good change that, and it's. Uh, I think that's one of the the mechanics that I'm like, most happy about in in yeah. Doom Song, and it's it's something you're interacting with so often. There is a level of threat or promise that comes with a coin for some reason, <laughs> and maybe it's just how society treats a coin flip. I know that the the Doom coin will be the killer of many a character for me because I love to gamble. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, and it's um, it definitely is. It's this um, uh, this reckless thing. And especially we've been playing a lot of one shots recently because we've Mm -hmm. been demoing it and the amount of times that flipping the Doom coin does end in something terrible happening to someone, someone losing a hand or uh, gaining some sort of permanent problem to their to their character, and sort of going, "Oh, if this was not a one shot, I guess that's kind of just me now." Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's this um, there's this one session that I, I do quite often as the as the demo sort of session is quite nicely sort of self-contained called the Bell Tower, um, which I, I think um, on tabletop is doing a, a thing of. So you might be able to find oh, um, find a video of it um, fairly soon. And so in that one, basically, if you go into the uh, the Bell Tower, uh, there's these constantly ringing bells and. Um, you fail if you fail your your check against the the bells. Essentially, uh, you get the condition bad hearing. Conditions are basically like uh, traits, but they're you can get rid of them. Uh, they're mm-hmm. like injuries, like you know you've got a broken arm or something that that can be healed one day. Whereas traits are something integral to your character. Yeah. Um, so it can be good or bad. And so yeah, if you get the um, uh, if you fail on that, then you get bad hearing. 
if you critically fail on that check, then like even when you move away from the area, even if you like destroy the bells, doesn't matter. You will hear those bells for the rest of your life. Um, and you just have that tolling of the bell in your head, which gives you this sort of you know bad hearing. You can't hear stuff because you're just constantly hearing these bells in your head, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of those. Because uh, horror is also kind of about permanence for me, like yeah. whether it's the psychological like aftermath of of something. Uh, it's something I find really powerful about the the first scene in Aliens, the first like, um, like the first scene is the the dream, isn't it, of the the chestbuster. Oh, yeah. Um, but that that first whole like I think it's it's quite long like it's half an hour or something in that yeah. where it's all just about Ripley getting over the trauma well not getting over it but pushing past it and deciding to like go ahead with this very difficult thing she has to do despite the damage she's doing to herself like yeah and and that's that's part of that that world that we are um, that we're creating. In a fun and safe environment, obviously, <laughs> like yeah, um, which is which is another of the interesting things about about horror. Um, and I do hasten to add that if you're running like, any role playing game, but especially like horror role playing game, like know your group, make make sure everyone is is on the same page about the kind of things that are going to going to come up. And yeah, play it to have fun. <laughs> Games are supposed yeah, to be exactly. fun. There are so many cool things that uh, you have in this. I know that, like, for instance, having gear that helps you will, like, bolster. Like, for instance, if you're doing a surgery roll and you happen <laughs> to have a first aid kit, that could give you bonuses. And that, I believe that's a special roll, too. That Like, that example would be a, a special check, correct? Yeah, so the, uh, the special checks are kind of the... Um, the... What do you call it? The the remains of that uh, that thing I was saying of uh, what if everything was tables, uh, which was mm -hmm. actually the original working title for the uh, for the rule set before <laughs> it changed to Doomsong. <laughs> Apparently, it wasn't catchy. Um, of these special checks, so in theory, you could run the whole game without ever touching any of these special checks. If you wanted to do surgery, you could just go make me a roll and and work out the you know, what, what would work for your group. Uh, but this is like, it's kind of us giving advice to the GM of like, oh, this is kind of how we'd do it. This is kind of how we'd do a success with cost and a, a failure with cost and, and all of that sort of mm -hmm. uh, stuff. Um, yeah, so surgery is one of those sort of uh, special roles, uh, special checks. And uh, yeah, as you say, if you have like, uh, a cleaver and medicine, that sort of thing. That's that's kind of the useful, useful gear. Yeah, uh, for that kind of thing. The last kind of role that I want to talk about because I think it covers are three different types of checks. That's combat. How does combat run? Uh, yeah, so this is another um, space that's quite interesting. Um, we have a unique little, uh, or at least I believe it's unique. I'm sure. I'm sure that it's been done somewhere else. Everything, <laughs> everything has. There is no new idea on the, under the sun. Um, uh, combat system where basically at the start of each round of combat, uh, everyone uh, gets two dice unless they've been injured, in which case just one dice, and sets them to two two different sort of action steps. So between one and six, 
might set one die to one and one die to three. Uh, and the NPCs and the uh, the PCs do all of this. Uh, then you go through your actions. So anyone's got a one. So if any NPCs have a one, they do a thing. If any players have a one, then they can do one of the sort of actions available in step one, uh, which are like small actions, like, oh, you can aid another player in something they're trying to do, or you can draw your weapon. Um, okay. And then that, that goes all the way down to uh, sort of fives, which is your, your heavy, slow attacks. And your so <laughs> all of your light attacks are like up at the top end of the like initiative. And all of your yeah. heavy and slow stuff is at the, at the bottom end. So you're kind of balancing this like, do I want to do a small thing before the enemy can act? Or do I want to do a big thing maybe after the enemy has acted? Um, if, if they haven't ripped my head off. And that sort of, <laughs> and that ties in really strongly with, um, so the players all have like a, a standard action bar, basically, and some some options in there. Yeah. Every NPC, or pretty much every NPC in the uh, in the adventure has their own action block. So when you're going up against something, like it might it might act in a, a way you've never seen before. It, it has a three, so you know it's acting on step three. But what it does on step three is is anyone's guess. Um, until you've sort of fought this thing a couple of times, maybe learnt a bit about it, um, then you sort of you start to learn its its rhythm, and that's a really strong part of of horror. Again, is that like we don't know how to fight this thing. We we don't know what's what's this thing's capabilities. There's yeah. a lot of monsters in Doom Song that swords just aren't the way to fight them. There's mm-hmm. uh, sefts, which are like uh, ghosts, which uh, can't be harmed by anything that was made after they died. Um, oh, and there's like there's tons of like there's uh, this bramble monster called the Edelv- Edervine, uh, which is like a wicker uh, wolf tied together with snakes. Um, and you can you can bash that thing apart, uh, but the snakes just sort of drift off. They go into the forest. They find find more vines and and sort of create create themselves back again and it's like being hunted by a, a wicker terminator <laughs> and so you've, but it, it's something I, I really enjoy in games like Dungeons and Dragons and it's so rare in games like Dungeons and Dragons where you're fighting a gargoyle or something and and you go oh oh none of none of these things on my character sheet help me here like I can't yeah. I can't hurt this thing oh d- does anyone have that you know, crystal that we found in the cave three years ago that you, when you throw it, it does thunder damage or whatever. Oh, maybe that'll work. And sort of this kind of um, spitballing of ideas. And so, yeah, that we wanted all of the monsters to basically have a bit of that in them. Um, mm-hmm. So there are, I mean, there are definitely monsters that are essentially just some, you know, dude with a sword <laughs> or yep. uh, things that are, are very much sort of mundane um, villains and things to fight and those things almost are palette cleansers and oh this thing you stab it and it dies how novel <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other sort of really interesting thing about combat um, for me at least is the retreat step so originally uh, retreating was a was a step six action so you had to set a die to six and at the end of everyone's action basically you got to got to retreat Trouble is, no one at the start of a round wants to retreat. Like your 
you know, anything could happen. You might roll a, you know, a six and flip the Doom coin and chop the thing's head off and it might all go yeah. great. So you don't really want to go with the defeatist, oh, we need to get out of here on before you've even seen what's happened. Um, so what we did is we took it out of that and it's now just an end of combat round thing. So at the end of every combat round, you can try and retreat. You can try and retreat as a group or individually and you always will retreat, basically. Uh, you always get away. Uh, but there is a check involved. It's a retreat check. And if it goes poorly, it could go really poorly. It could, you know, mm -hmm. free attacks and dangerous things happening to your character. And so basically getting, choosing to retreat, it has its own inherent dangers, but it is always successful. Mm -hmm. And so you are always going, like, if we're not going to win this fight, if we're not going to survive it, we could just take our chances and try and yeah. try and flee. Um, and that's something that we always wanted there as an option um, because it's something that's... I, I have distinct memories of, of particular games. Um, I'll go back to D&D to &D again, of like trying to do the retreat thing, but because everyone's taking turns and no one wants to be the first one to retreat, everyone's like, I'll hold them off, you run away. And then the next player's turn is like, well... I'll stay here, but definitely we should run away. And then the, the paladin is like, well, I'm not going to be the first one to run. I'm the paladin. And then you, you got, you know, you go back around to the top of initiative and you're in the same place you were, but with fewer hit points or whatever. Um, so we definitely, like, there's this stage where everyone can say, actually, should we should we book it? Um, and that that means that, um, I've not had a combat sort of last more than three, four rounds um, because either the the NPCs are getting the you know snot kicked out of them and go actually they're going to run they're going to they're going to get away uh, they're going to try and get away anyway um, and if they do essentially what that does is that that takes you out of that combat system but it doesn't mean you're out of danger. You could give chase. You could try and hunt them down, but then you're out. You're back into those like the standard check environment. Yeah. So you know you're making a check to track them or to to run them down and persistence hunt and sort of get get to them. Um, and so, which is another thing of like, I'm very, I, I'm trying to instill in people like to use the tools for what they use, what they need to be used for. Uh, yeah. So like the combat works for combat it doesn't work for chase scenes um what for that you want you want to run chase scenes using standard checks and um and other tools and stuff so yeah that that retreat sort of step really means that there's this very clear line of combat's over you know you've <laughs> you've you've run away <laughs> like we're we're out of combat um we're, we're breaking that but not having to end the combat with one side's completely dead. Mm -hmm. I think that Doomsong does a really good job of A, breaking up the different types of checks that you have. We went over the three main ones. But it also all feels connected and appropriate for what you're doing or what you're trying to get. It's It just gets right in they weave together so well and it's very black and white on where it is it's nope combat's done we're in standard checks okay 
you you broke your foot. We're going to reset the bone. What's the special check say? <laughs> it's it it's beautiful. I love it so much. Or replace it with a dog's leg. One of the two. Or replace it with a dog's leg. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Jack, I've actually just looked up at the time. We've been going for an hour now. <laughs> and I think we need yeah. to start wrapping it up. But I got a couple more questions for you just to kind of clear things out here. All right, I'll, I'll try and not uh, ramble off piste. Oh, that's okay, because they're a little bit... They're, they're questions with definitive answers. So, <laughs> well, except for the one. Do you have a, a date for when the Kickstarter is going to be going live? Uh, we do indeed. October 17th. October 17th. Okay, so let's see. Less than a month. Looking, looking at... Well, well, definitely a month less than a month. A month <laughs> yeah, less than a month for this, but when this one comes out, I believe it'll either be... Might be a week from the release of this episode, actually. Ah! So that would be <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, that's that's great. I'm excited about the Kickstarter. I think you guys are going to do great. Jack, this so. one's... I hope so, too. Jack, this one's really specifically for you though but what is it about the role-playing game space that keeps you here what is it about creating in this space that you enjoy for me it's the stories and the variety in them um i i've spent a lot of time <laughs> just just about to i'll, I'll ramble off piste uh, i've spent a lot of time like thinking about and asking and trying to work out why why people play role-playing games. And there are, there's a hundred answers. Like there's a, there's loads of stuff that, that attracts people to them. And I think mm -hmm. understanding that is, is such an important part to running a good game. And, you know, if you're, if you have players who are interested in the interpersonal drama and the characters and the sort of character play, then that's very different from a group that's interested in the story, which is very different from a group that's interested in, you know, the, the combat or the, uh, the tactical challenge and uh, for me there's like like everyone i'm obviously a medley of uh, of all stuff uh, but <laughs> it's the it's the unique storytelling challenges um that emergent storytelling that that sort of group narrative i think is something that's just so unique about the medium and yeah. there's so many things that you can do in it that you can't do in any other medium um that I just find I find fascinating, and the sort of the experiments that other people are doing and sort of running, like yeah, it always just makes me really interested to to try new stuff and to humbly add my my experiments into the pile. <laughs> no, I love that answer. That's that's great, uh, and I like I said, I I really like Doom Song. It's I'm a horror fan. And that's already great. I like games that have lethality that make sense instead of just having uh, a GM throw five dragons at you because <laughs> I have seen that. And <laughs> and in not a critical role kind of sense where it's five set piece dragons, it's just five dragons land on the board. Oh no, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than one five-headed dragon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that Doom Song's going to stand out in its own really cool way. Jack, where can people find out more about you, Caesar Inc., and Doom Song? Lord have mercy upon us. So first place people should go if they want to find out more is to the Kickstarter page. 
which you can find by searching for Doomsong uh, or in our Twitter bio or Facebook or anywhere probably linked somewhere around around this. <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, and that that gives you all of the information of like stretch uh, not stretch goals. Uh, there aren't any stretch goals, uh, which you'll see why on our uh, on our page. But um, <laughs> all the information on add-ons and uh, what's in the what's in the Kickstarter and all of that stuff uh, you'll find there. Uh, if you want to learn a bit more about uh, Caesar Inc. in general, uh, you can go to Caesar Inc. Uh, which is our website, and you can sort of see what what projects we've worked on, and if you're interested in making something together, we certainly uh, do provide those services. Um, and yeah, if you want to just sort of chat with us, then another good place is to join our Discord, which is a very sort of little friendly space at the moment. <laughs> yeah. As always, audience, those links are going to be in the description down below. Jack, this has been awesome thank you so much for joining me we like i said i lost track of time i I had such a good time talking about this game oh man (laughs) i'm glad (laughs) maybe i was uh talking your ear off a few times (laughs) oh oh no not at all (laughs) (laughs) i do sometimes just find myself like on a track and going i think that this isn't related to whatever the question was (laughs) (laughs) i've just rambled off on it on a tangent but uh hopefully it's all content (laughs) (laughs) and audience thank you so much for listening caesar inc and doom song lord have mercy upon us are launching on kickstarter very very soon or may have already launched go check it out in the link there below till next time though take care of yourselves and we'll see you on the next one bye Thank you so much to Jack for joining me on the podcast this week. Doomsong, Lord Have Mercy Upon Us, has been a slight obsession of mine since we had that conversation. And I think using the demo book alone, I've done like 20 read-throughs of it. What I'm trying to say is that it's super cool, and I can't wait to see what comes from it. Especially when I heard about how excited folks were to find out that I had an interview with them. I'm just really excited about Doomsong, and I think you'll like it too. Check that top link in the description below. And get yourself notified on Kickstarter to be reminded to back them on the 17th of October. And thank you all for joining me again, especially on this episode, because fun fact, uh, it's super late here, October 2nd, and I'm re-recording this all because I forgot to do an intro and tomorrow's my birthday and I don't have time to do it tomorrow. I forgot to do the outro, that's what I'm getting at. Some actual announcements though. If you like my voice and you want to see or hear more from me throughout the month of October, starting on the 11th, I'm going to be joining Tales from the Table, participating in a Five Night at Freddy's inspired Kids on Bikes miniseries called One Night at Ollie's. That'll be Wednesday evenings. I think it's starting at a time that will be listed in the next episode. I'm also joining Jack of RPGs Uncovered, Talwood Blaze from the Gamer's Rest, and the Eldritch Entity, The Eye, each Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern to do a multiplayer playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3 called Behind These Eyes. It's been a lot of fun so far. There's audience interaction if you go onto Jack's Twitch, which is RPGs Uncovered. You can influence the stories, or you can join me on my Twitch, which is Astroceratops, and come and chat with me. I've also been playing Darkwood, which is hella spooky. Finally, I'm still on Tale of the Void, but... We now go every other week at 8 Eastern instead of weekly. It was just getting too hard for us. 
Our next episode is going to be on the 10th, so if you want to learn more about Fail the Void or listen to our antics in the butterfly effect, that's where to find me. Thank you all so much for listening to that, and if you like the show, tell a friend. Oh, and one last thing. With Twitter being the shit show that it is, I'm mostly on Blue Sky now, so if you're over there, you can find me at scheduled for, that's the number four, launch. Take care all, hope to see you somewhere out there. Bye.